0: Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. We've been speaking together on fitly joined, and Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 is where that comes from. Let me read it to you. It says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effect you're working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. So we've been talking about what it means to be fitly joined. And I brought in a table that my father had built. Uh, It was a coffee table, kind of a deal. I thought you'd like to see something different. This is another one that he made. I made that out of old scraps of silky oak. And that's some kind of a jardinier stand, I believe would be the posh word for it a pot stand for all those of us that are the common folk. And uh, my father built that. But you know, when my dad built that, you might wonder, I'll come to the stick in a minute. Uh, But when my father built that, uh, the timber had to be seasoned before he could build anything out of it. Being fitly joined, unfortunately, doesn't always mean easy and it doesn't always mean fun. And it being in your sweet spot doesn't mean that everything's always sweet. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. How many people would love to hear a message on taking up your cross? Oh, pastor, can you tell me about some of the difficulties I might encounter? Can you tell me about pressure and about problems? I just have had too good a life. I need a little bit more strength. Strength. I need to fight a few more battles in Jesus' name. Just raise your hand if that's you. And uh, we'll pray for you because, uh, you know, you really need a bit more help. That's for sure. But, you know, the timber has to be seasoned. And part of the seasoning process is literally this, that they set timber aside for a while. And here it is. I've actually got it up on the screen for you. The traditional rule of thumb for dry air-drying timber is to allow one year of drying time per inch of wood thickness. If you've got a log 12 inches, 300 millimetres, if you've got a log that thick, you'd have to set it aside for a year. Sorry, for 12 years. One year for every inch of thickness of the timber. These here are... Two by one and a halves? Three by one and a halves? Come on, Mr Architect, how big are they? Sorry? It's a 70 by 30, 70 by 30 which is almost a three by a bit more than one. Sorry, I still think in the old, you know, the old school stuff. But this timber here uh, wasn't set aside to dry, as you can tell by the colour of it. It was pressure... And he treated. Someone wanted to speed up the process. But I discovered that speeding up the process, sometimes, go to the next quote, please, it results in a condition sometimes known as case hardening. And what that means is this. Welcome to John and Trudy, by the way, who are up in Broome. John would know all this stuff. He's sitting back there nodding, saying to Trudy, he's, he's right. He's exactly right. Uh, it results in something called case hardening. And what that means is, the, the pressure is that time isn't taken to season it and the outside gets hard, but the inside stays soft and eventually cracks. And When I read that, I think about people that I know who try and fast track growth in their life, that encounter a time of pause, a time of seasoning in their life and just jump prematurely out of that time of seasoning and what often happens is they end up hard on the outside and cracked on the inside. They end up being the kind of Christians that build a shield around about them and out of shell of hardness. It's kind of like don't come near me, I've been hurt, somebody wounded me so I've got a little hardness. I'm going to keep people a bit away but on the inside there's not hardness, there's a a uh, brokenness on the inside because they did not allow seasoning to take place. I'll come to the stick. A year and a bit ago, I went across to the bush where I walk our dogs so regularly and where I and the snakes have an agreement, I won't bite you if you won't bite me. And this came off an olive tree. I kept my eye out looking for a straight piece of timber that one day I could turn into a walking stick. And so uh, not because I'm old, or need a walking stick for balance, but because I carry one because you never know what you're going to find over there in the bush. And so I carry one out. I thought I'm going to make one. And I knew that olive timber is very hard, but sometimes it's hard to get a straight piece. And so on this particular day, I saw a tree where all these branches were growing up like this. And I uh, came back the next day with my trusty little saw. And uh, I sawed about three or four of them off, took them home and then spent the rest of the afternoon with a Stanley knife taking all the bark off. The reason I took all the bark off is because I can't use it until it's dried, until it gets seasoned. So a couple of them had a little bend in them. So I put them on the ground and I got bricks. And I put bricks on them and left bricks on the length of that timber for an entire year. Why? Because it's one year per inch of thickness. And so now those sticks are ready to be sanded and then to be polished, cut to the right length. And then they will get several coats of lacquer and they'll be worth a gazillion dollars. And uh, those of you that need a walking stick, well, I'll just add to the list of my talents as a senior pastor. Uh, you can come and I'm not saying when you're going to get it, but uh, that depends on everything else. But uh, I allow this timber to sit there. You know, if I tried to turn that green stick immediately into a walking stick, I'll tell you what would have happened. It would have split for a start. Under pressure, it would have cracked and eventually uh, it would have rotted and nothing good could have come out. of it. I couldn't have made it into anything. The reality is that sometimes in your life and mine, God is going to press the pause button. Fitly joined doesn't mean it's all just a linear upward path Sometimes God's going to get you, call you, take some stuff off you, and then put you somewhere and let you sit for a bit. Genesis chapter 37 verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. We don't need to read the rest of the verse except to say this, that The history of Jacob is about to be written in his son. God had a plan for this boy who's the youngest at the time. God had a plan that involved this young man that was going to literally impact the world. And we know that the story after this, immediately after this, is that Joseph has a dream. It's a dream from God. And in the dream, he sees the, the sheaves bowed out to his sheaf, And he goes and tells his brothers, guess what? I'm going to lead you. And they think like all older brothers do about their younger brothers. And I've got three uh, younger brothers, that is. Uh, all the older brothers go, you know what? I'm the boss here, not you. Get out of my way. You should do what I tell you. That's the way they felt about Joseph. Well, he gets another dream and he doesn't just tell the brothers, he tells the dad. Because he says, dad, I saw sun, moon and stars bow down to me. So dad, even you are going to one day bow down before me. And the whole family goes into a bit of uproar because this guy's got a dream. Now, I don't know because the Bible doesn't say what Joseph thought at that moment. I know that first time I ever got a prophetic word over my life, I literally thought, this is it. It's launch time. And instead of launch time, God invented part time. Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. Let's go fast forward. The brothers have sold Joseph into slavery rather than kill him. He's gone down to uh, Egypt. Potiphar, one of the... Captains of Pharaoh's guard has bought him. He ends up being unjustly accused. He's put in jail. While he's in jail, the king's cupbearer and the king's baker both are put into prison. And Joseph has become a trustee. He's become someone with authority in the prison. Because they never put him in the ordinary prison where he should have gone. They put him in the king's prison. Why? Because God had a plan even in the pause. It never looked like a plan. To Joseph, it looked like one disaster after another. But finally, his moment of of release seems to arise because he gives both to the baker and to the king's cupbearer a prophetic message to the baker it's you're going to die. That would have been a good one to get, not. To the king's cupbearer, he says, you are going to be restored back to your place of authority. And when you do, remember me. Because I need to get out of here. I've done nothing wrong. It's not my fault. Get me out of here. Verse 23 of Genesis 40. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Two years. Two years of going, but God, I did your will. Two years of saying, God, you gave me the dream. Two years of saying, Lord, what on earth is going on? You're going to hear in a minute. And remember what Kylie led us in a worship this morning and some of those songs and some of the things she said. And she didn't know what I'm preaching and I didn't know what she's saying. We don't script it. But the Holy Spirit wants to say something to some of you that are here today who are in the middle of a pause in your life. You felt like, God, what am I doing? stuck here. I thought this was about you using me. Now look what's going on. God, what about that promise you told me my kids would honour you and serve you? They look like they're going in the opposite direction, Lord. Yet the Chief Butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let me say to you today that it's what we do in the pause that opens the door to our promotion. It's what we do in the pause time. In Acts 16, verse 23, you've got Paul and Silas in jail. These guys that are in this prison and they are being held fast. There's a whole lot of stuff they can't do. And again, they've done nothing wrong. They delivered a young girl from a demonic spirit that was tormenting her mind. They set her free. And as a result, now they're in a difficult place. Somewhere they don't want to be. When they laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Who on earth praises in a prison? Well, it's people who know that the way out of limitation is to have a different spirit. Listen, I don't know what you're in. I don't know what's going on in your world. I know that in... Sheesh, read the news, listen to the news, get it off your social media and the whole of our nation is in a disconnected, disputational uproar. Can I tell you the way out of it is not to buy into it. The way out of it is to... Listen to me. The way out, I'm not talking about your viewpoints or anything else. Have all those you like. But I'm telling you now, church, the way out of what we're in is to have a different spirit. We've got to have a different spirit. We are called to have a different spirit to the world. If we have the same spirit of the world, what is the point? Are you with me? I'm not saying maybe what you think I'm saying but I'm saying what I am saying. And I said that so that no one goes away. And he said, he said this. No, he didn't. What he said was, let's have a different spirit. Amen. These guys are in jail. They're in all of this uh, pressure and problem. And they've got a different spirit and it becomes the way out. While the rest of the world is saying, look after number one. Don't care about anybody else. Have a different spirit. Start saying, God, I'm going to double down on my generosity. I'm going to double down on my reaching out to people. I'm going to double down on my prayer life. Amen. I'm going to double down on allowing the Spirit of God to use me. This is not a time for cutting off the pipeline of heaven and saying, God, come back in six months when I feel better and and God, I'll let you use me then. Because by then, emotionally, I'll be okay. Amen. Because these guys never felt like praising. They're not in a beautiful building like this with wonderful musicians. They haven't got the sounds of, you know, the songs we sing. Working away there. Great are you, Lord. Because every time they moved, they broke open the scars of the whips on their back. You know what it's like when a When a wound is healing and every time you move, you tear it open a bit more. And you imagine these guys are sitting there and then they sit there and feel something run down their back and Paul says to Silas, is that sweat? Silas leans around and says, no, it's blood. And you go, what on earth? But see, these guys have got a different spirit. It's what you do in the pause that opens the door to your promotion. Secondly, your pause is God's grace for your preparation. It's not his punishment. When my father got that timber and set it aside, when I took this stick and cut it down, and the stick cried out, ouch! <laughs> and then I took it home and I got the stem and I cut the bag, went, and then I put it all alone down the side of the house, and I ignored it. I never went out every day saying, oh, stick, this is for your good. Oh, stick, I love you. Stick, I'm going to make something beautiful out of you. I never did any of that. I just ignored it. Matter of fact, I haven't touched it since last year. And yet, your pause is God's grace for your preparation. Joseph part one, or Joseph version two, he couldn't have led a nation. He couldn't have interacted with the corridors of power. He couldn't have administered a country's entire agricultural system. That Joseph couldn't have done it. But he could do it. I think about him talking to the king's cupbearer and learning the arts and graces of the palace. How to approach the Pharaoh. What words to say to the Pharaoh. How close can you get. Finding about all that kind of stuff. I meet Christians all the time who will go, Oh, I believe in God. He's going to use me. I'm going to be a gazillionaire and give millions to the kingdom. And they can't manage the budget of their own house. They want to talk to people of power. And they've never learned how to polish their shoes. They haven't learned that picking your nose in public. I haven't shot at anybody because I wouldn't know what you do. I'm just saying your pause is not God's punishment to your life. It's his preparation for your life. He's one to get you ready for something greater than where you are. Here's number three. What's most important in your pause are the things that the devil can't put on hold. See, he can fasten the, the, the arms and the legs of Paul and Silas. He can make sure that Joseph was locked in a jail and forgotten. But the things that the devil can't put on hold, they're the things that matter most. Let me say to you, there is not a problem in heaven or earth that can hold your faith bound. You can believe God no matter what. It can be the ugliest day of your life, but you can have faith. Amen. I read it this morning in Luke 23. Into your hands I commend or I entrust my spirit. That's Jesus on the cross. At the darkest moment ever. And in that darkest moment, he still says, but I've got faith in this moment. You can have that. Come on. Are you with me this morning? You can have faith in that moment. What's most important? Things like hope. Things like vision. Things like praise. Listen to me. Come on. Some of you, you need to hear this today because your attention is so focused on all what you've lost, what you haven't got, what you can't do. You're in the pause. And God says, come on, listen, while you're in the pause, what can you do? Well, you can become a blessing to others. Find some way to do it. I always say to people, if you're unemployed and can't get a job, come serve in hope. Because the devil will get out of the road and let you get a job. Seriously. I say to people, come serve in hope. Come and help people that are in need. Why? Because you start letting the opposite spirit be at work in your life. Instead of sitting at home watching reruns of Pack of the Rafters, which I've never watched and it just came to my head as though it's, some, it's a show and I don't know anything at all about it or Neighbours or... Is General Hospital still on? <laughs> what, what was that? Days of our lives. Is that still going? Who's the people who said yes? Come on, we want to know who's watching it. Come on. (laughs) Just kidding. My grandma watched it every day religiously. She knew more about that than she knew about her grandkids. Sorry, Grandma. What's most important in your pause are all the things that the devil can't stop. Here's number four. Never confuse pause with stop. God has no stop, no park, no enduring end, no end. Now I'm going to read you the verse that Kylie spoke to you today. But I'm going to read it from the message version. Isaiah 40 verse 28. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's the creator of all that you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out, doesn't pause to catch his breath, and he knows everything inside and out. He energises those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall, but those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. Don't confuse a pause in your life with a message from God saying he's forgotten you. He's stopped. He's not going to use you. It's not going to happen. Luke 1 verse 37 says this. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let me just suggest to you that you can read that a slightly different way and say, for God, doing nothing is impossible. For with God, nothing, nothing, not working, not being active, not moving, not planning, not behind the scenes getting ready for that, for those things, that's impossible for God. God is life himself. God is energy. He's moving all the time. And on the days when you think nothing's happening, God is at work as he was in the life of Joseph and as he was in the life of Paul and Silas. Let me finish by saying this. Being productive in the pause will be worth it. I've often thought about Jesus coming as a baby and there's lots of fuss. Wise men come from the east. Shepherds come because they've had a vision of angels. People in the temple are holding up the baby and prophesying, saying this is the manifestation of the promise. There's all that stuff. And then there's 11 years of nothing. And the next thing thing you hear is year 12 for Jesus. And he's up at the temple. And his parents lose him. But then there's that bit of fuss and then you don't hear anything about year 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29 until year 30. And I think about what it must have been like to be the Messiah and to be knowing your call to walk past someone who was sick that at the age of 30 you'll command to rise up and walk. To walk past people that are tormented and know Right now, I'm set aside for seasoning. I think about that. But can I say to you that every single one of us that's here, we recognise that those 30 years of Jesus waiting were well worth it, don't we? Joseph's years of training were well, well worth it, because what God had in mind was not simply to elevate one man. It was that those 70 souls that came down to Egypt, all of his family, years later would become a nation of millions. Supernaturally, over the time, period that they're in Egypt, God causes them to be fruitful more so than the people around about him No matter what they do, these people keep multiplying and multiplying until eventually there's millions of them. God takes them out and turns them into a nation. What's on the other side of your pause? You don't know. And I don't know either. And I'm just like you. I ask questions about pause time in my life and go, God, hello? Is anyone there? You remember? Prophetic word after prophetic word and I remind him of them. But those that wait upon the Lord will be re-energised, amen. Come on, let's take a minute right now. Team, come. Lord, we wait on you. We don't wait on you for the answer. We wait on you because you are the answer. We're not waiting on you saying, hurry up. Lord, come on, get it going. We're saying, Lord, we want to be fit for the master's use. We surrender to you today. Lord, the hardest thing for us to give you is our time. We'll give you our money much easier, than we'll give you our time. We'll let you take this or that much easier, than we'll say, God, here's a chunk of my life in time. I'd like you to run it. I'd like you to organise it. I'd like you to deal with it. Lord, we give you all the things that we're impatient about today. Doesn't mean, Lord, we let them go as though we don't care anymore. It means that we're trusting you. We thank you for helping us today. Come on, there's people all over the place, online, in the building, wherever you are. People during the week that are Got to be hearing this and be a part of this service at a later time. But let the Holy Spirit come on, He's speaking to you right now. He's not telling you to let go, He's telling you to let God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping us today.